Well, if you've been with us, you've already, we've already studied seven of the Beatitudes. And the Lord has really laid out a feast for us when, when it comes to this. Um, my pastor once said that they're not to be taken as a buffet line. This eight courses is like more like a, an eight-course meal. There's blessing after blessing that flows from his banquet table. Um, when I think about an eight-course meal, I think back to a friend of mine that used to have a Christmas luncheon every year. And, I mean, she went all out. We, it, it usually was six, seven, eight courses. And every dish was done in a cute little, like, I remember one, she had a swan that had an appetizer in it. And every little course had a, a, a cracker or a piece of toast that was with it, you know, sprigs of herbs on it. Um, it was really well balanced so that you didn't get full before the main course. It was just wonderful. And as as you got your invitation in the mail, I always thought, oh, yay, she invited me. And, you know, she only had like 10 or 12 places to put around her dining room table. So I didn't always get invited, but I was always so glad that I did. Um, like I said, it was really well balanced so that when the time the main course arrived, my tongue was ready, but my belly was not yet full. <laughs> so Jesus also set out to satisfy us in the same way. He set before us each beatitude. It was a blessing to taste and see that his word is good. He also offered a promise with it, and it's perfectly balanced so that we will be balanced in our attitudes as we allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in us. The first course was the blessing for those who are poor in spirit, you'll remember. We had to realize that we need a Savior, and this course certainly left us wanting more. The promise was for the kingdom of heaven, and we were assured that we would gain just that when we acknowledged that we were unable to attain that kingdom on our own that we were bankrupt without Jesus, that we truly were poor in spirit. The second course was the blessing for those who mourn. And we talked about mourning over our own sin that leads to repentance. And then we also looked at mourning over the sins of the world. We talked about that we could be in constant prayer for the lost and we could bring the good news of the gospel to whoever whenever and wherever we are. The promise that our Heavenly Father would comfort us, those who mourn, is more than we could ask. Just to think that he cares for me and for you, and he reaches down to, to encourage and, and comfort us in our grief is a soothing balm. He sent us his Holy Spirit as our comforter. Well, the third course, or the third beatitude that we looked at, was for those who are meek. And remember, it doesn't mean that you're a doormat. It means that you realize the power that you possess through God's Spirit, and you choose not to have your own way. Although I do like the idea of having my say when I don't get my way. And the promise, well, that will that be for us that we will inherit the earth. And we know a day is coming when there will be a new heaven and a new earth and we will reign with Jesus. The fourth course was the blessing for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When you get to this beatitude, I really see that those other three lead you to hunger and thirst. 
The promises of God so far surely cause you to want more. And like a balanced meal leading up to a main course, this one promises to fill you up. And with what? With the righteousness of God. That happens when you take off the old man and then you put on Christ's righteousness. I see these first four Beatitudes as our attitudes about God and ourselves. All the eight courses deal with the way we live out our Christianity, but looking inward, we could just stop right there. And then I see the next four are very much um, how we deal with others. The fifth course, I like to call it a palate cleanser. That's the course where it gets you ready to take in another set of small plates. The blessing for this one is those who are merciful. We talked a lot about mercy and grace. But when you get right down to it, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have tasted his mercy by his grace. You have not gotten what you deserve, but Christ paid the price for your sin. You are justified through faith, and it is by his grace that you are saved. This one was the one that really hit home for me. Being merciful and the promise of God's mercy has probably made the biggest impact and change in my life since we've started this eight-course meal. My thought is, how can I not be merciful to those who God loves? He gave his son for the whole world, not just for me. Who am I not to show mercy to those who have not yet tasted his grace? And why should I expect anyone who does not know the love of Christ to be any other way than what the world teaches. I want an extra helping of this one. The sixth course is the blessing for those who are pure in heart. And you know that we saw that the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at, but looks at the heart. But I really believe that a man sees the heart when that heart reflects Jesus. Someone is always watching you. You can be sure of that. And the way you respond to your circumstances and to difficult people or situations speaks volumes about your faith and your undivided heart. And oh, what a promise. It says you will see God. And now the seventh course is our study for today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. You will recall being blessed is to be happy that you are the object of God's grace. Um, On Monday night when I was driving in to do the lecture, I heard David Jeremiah, and he was talking about the Beatitudes. And his series on the Beatitudes was called How to Be Happy According to Jesus. When Lynn first taught about, you know, the introduction to the Beatitudes, she taught us that it's a... the the blessing that being happy is like a triumphant shout of a permanent joy. And I was reminded of a song that the kids used to sing when we were in, we were doing Sunday school. It goes, he sits me down at his banquety table. His banner over me is love. And the kids would shout it out and they would, they had motions and they were marching around the room. They were truly triumphant shouts of joy. Can you imagine if we lived out our Christian lives knowing that we were blessed every minute of every day? 
Like I said, these Beatitudes are not a buffet line. It's a feast. And we are in charge of that plate, of our attitudes. So fill up your plate as we look at what a peacemaker is. The actual definition of a peacemaker is one who makes peace, especially by reconciling parties at variance or at odds. And then you might add, it's someone who can see clearly without prejudice or favor to come up with the best solution for all. It seems to me that building on the Beatitudes or taking in all the courses leads to being a peacemaker. James 3, 17 and 18 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven, now I'm going to kind of put my two cents in here too, the wisdom that comes from heaven, which the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, right? So the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom and being poor in spirit, mourning for your sin, certainly applies to that wisdom. It's first of all pure, so we looked at pure in heart. Then peace-loving, considerate. That could be meekness and mercy. It's submissive. Again, meekness. Full of mercy and good fruit. Well, that fruit is the righteousness of God. It is impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. That was James 3, 17 through 18. Well, Christ is and was our peacemaker. He came to reconcile man to God. He is from heaven. He is wisdom. He is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive to the Father, even unto death. He is righteous. He is impartial. He's not a pleaser of men. And he is sincere. He sincerely loved you enough to die a cruel death on the cross, to bring about peace between you and God the Father. Christ is the ultimate peacemaker. So, how can we be peacemakers? Um, Years ago, there was a quilt store in Costa Mesa, and it was called Peacemakers, P-I-E-C-E. I just thought that was such a cute name. But what I didn't realize was that it was a Christian organization, and so it was a play on words. It really was a beautiful store. They sold fabric and patterns and all you needed to make patchwork quilts. They offered classes and retreats, and um, like I said, I, I really liked the name, but because I wasn't a Christian back then, I didn't get all of the biblical references in their ads and their flyers. If I think back, I think probably their newsletters came and probably had the gospel message in every newsletter. Either way, whether I just didn't get it or maybe I didn't want to, maybe I deliberately overlooked it, it was probably because I was a devout enemy of God. And you think, oh my goodness, an enemy? Yes, an enemy. I wanted no peace, P-I-E-C-E, of God, so I did not have peace with God. James 4.4 4 says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Chuck Smith says, man has declared war against God. He says, to fight against God must be the height of foolishness. 
It's kind of the opposite of that wisdom that we were talking about before. Isaiah says, Woe to him that strives with his maker. So you see, you cannot be a peacemaker if you have not made peace with God. If you are not a child of God, you are his enemy, and you need a peacemaker. You need Jesus. Chuck Smith also says, Before one can be a peacemaker, he must be entirely delivered from self. Think about that one. (laughs) Delivered from self, from self-interest and self-concern. The peacemaker does not look at things in terms of, of how they may affect themselves. This all goes back to taking in all of the Beatitudes, that all eight courses. The peacemaker has looked at self and seen his own wretchedness. The peacemaker does not ask why the unbeliever is acting like this or that, because he knows they are not governed by God. The peacemaker must control his tongue and view every situation in light of the gospel. Well, you know, peacemakers need to be peacekeepers, too. Dying to self means that you choose not to always get your way. I need to not always judge a situation as to how it will affect me. I need to look at the other side of the argument. And when I do that, the thing that helps me is I think, well, well, what will this matter in a year from now? Do I really need to get my way? And then I remember that you can often win a battle and lose a war. Proverbs 17, 14 says, Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So stop the matter before a dispute breaks out. And then Proverbs nineteen eleven says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. An oh, glorious day when my feelings don't get in the way. When I'm selfishly looking at a situation, I'm not glorifying God or myself. I think sometimes unkind words go straight to my heart. That's when I need to be a peacekeeper. I need to not worry about how that affected me and not to be selfish. Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Christ is our example. He never claimed his rights. He never humbled himself. In fact, self was never an issue. He didn't, self never got in the way. He was always about making peace between man and God. If we are to be peacemakers, we must follow the pattern that set before us in the life of Jesus Christ. So my thoughts went back to that quilting store. There is a style of patchwork quilting, and this is hard to explain without uh, pictures, but it's called fussy cutting. Say you have a huge piece of fabric and you decide you want certain pieces out of that fabric and what it's going to do is make another pattern like a flower. So what you do is you lay a transparent pattern over the, like a template, over a given piece of fabric to find a design. And what it does, if you can think about a kaleidoscope, it creates a, a united design like a flower and you cut away 
all that does not add to the design. Sometimes we need to cut away that which does not fit into God's design. Sometimes we need to cut away that which does not form a beautiful design in a relationship with others. As those patterns lay side to side, they meld into a beautiful design. Peacemakers will strive for unity for a single purpose designed by God. God's design for our life is specific. It's to be used to be used by God, we must completely surrender and deliver ourselves from ourselves. God has a beautiful design in mind, each one of us unique, but we must work with him, his Holy Spirit, and others for a glorious design to be complete. When we work together as peacemakers, his amazing design brings glory to his name. Our Savior came to teach us to be our pattern. We need to conform and be transformed into his image and live our lives allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way. Romans 12:18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, you, the peacemaker, live at peace with everyone. We should seek to bring men to peace with God. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. And 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Read peacemakers there. We are therefore Christ's peacemakers, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. How How often do I implore someone on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God? I need to work on that one. When I'm doing the work of a peacemaker, I'm called a child of God, for I have become like my father. I remember always telling my granddaughter, you look just like your daddy. Wouldn't that be great if someone came and said that to you and talking about God your father? You look just like your daddy. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We're not just like foster kids. We're adopted into the family. We have all the rights of the birthright of a true child of God. John 1, 10 through 12 says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, you and me, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Christ, our peacemaker, reconciled us to his Father and has given us the opportunity to be peacemakers as well. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for just the opportunity that you give us to work in, in this world on your behalf. And like the song that we sang, you didn't need us. You weren't dependent on us, but you allowed us to work with you. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the, 
the teachings that we have heard so far about the Beatitudes. And Father, we pray that our attitudes through these uh, seven courses so far has changed and that we will continue to change as you mold and, and guide us by your Holy Spirit. So be with us now in our groups. Help us to see you more clearly and become more like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.